0: But Genesis chapter 13, between now and then, the Bible tells us in Genesis 13, verse 1, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had in lot with him, into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also which went with Abraham had flocks and herds and tents. And the lamb was not able to bear them, and they, that they might dwell together, for the substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. But if thou wilt depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked, and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Father, tonight, as we examine Scripture, as we look into your Word, I pray we listen intently, not to what I have to say, because what I have to say means nothing. Father, to the message itself. What can we learn from your word? What can we hear from you that is life-changing, life-altering, and transforming? Lord, I believe the principles before us tonight are that, not because I have them, but because they are yours. So may we, in the few moments we have, those here and those watching, listen on purpose to what you have for us tonight. And Lord, may this be an encouragement in Jesus' name. Amen. We have said this in time in the past as we've been going through a couple Old Testament books that we see the entire Bible is what we call one narrative of God's redemptive work, which means you can see the gospel from Genesis to Revelation. I believe the simple way to put it, we call it gospel centricity, gospel centric. All of the Bible points to the gospel. From Genesis to Revelation, it points to Jesus and it points to God's redemptive work. Which this is great when you consider what we talked about last Sunday night. If you remember, last Sunday night we talked about La, or excuse me, Abraham taking everybody into Egypt and telling his wife, tell him you're my sister. And all of the chaos that came as a result of simply just not trusting God to be where he should have been. And we talked about that. But you know what's amazing to me when I read the redemptive work, we can see the redemptive work. So you have a man who had been asked of God to go and he lived in obedience. While doing that, in a level of selfishness and even, I would say, fear, When famine came, he goes into Egypt. It was sin. Then he lies. And then the lies continue to compile, and the pain compiles, and all of that. Finally, an ungodly man says, get out. And God uses an ungodly man to put Abraham back on the path. You know what we would think sometimes? Well, you know what God's going to do? Now that he's done, he's done with Abraham, he's going to go find someone else. But you know how this passage starts off? The wealth of Abraham. Aren't you glad that one major or many, many major mistakes does not hinder God's work, continued work in your life. I'm so glad that God, people say, well, God is a God of second chances. Man, he's a God of 40 chances. What are you talking about? If we keep coming back, he's always there to listen and to forgive. And we see that. And the premise is the decisions are made, consequences are a result of it, but God was still blessing Abraham because he was, was willing to come back and rekindle his heart to God. And what we could do, as we could easily criticize Abraham for his decisions and the choices when they were Egypt, and you'd be right to criticize. Be careful when you criticize somebody's actions, where the Bible says, "Judge not, lest ye be judged." Right? The moment you start pointing out someone's actions, you're bound to repeat theirs, generally speaking. But what is great is that God still blessed and God still directed and used Abraham in spite of his sin, his lack of faith, and his decisions. It is great that our mistakes don't destroy us, and God is always desiring to give forgiveness and renewal to those who desire it. So tonight we're going to look at two people, and we're going to look at some decisions they made for themselves and their families. I hope you catch this. Our decisions come out of opinions. They come out of desires, and they come out of dreams about what we want or what we think God wants for us. The Bible says... um, Trying to, you are what you think. The idea is—I can't remember. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. It's the idea. You are what goes in your mind is what you will do. That's what Proverbs "As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he." You convince yourself you're a horrible person; you'll begin to believe it. Right? You convince yourself that God doesn't love you; you'll begin to believe it. So, if we are going a set direction, we will act upon that, and so our decisions can come out of that. So, where we end up is a result of all of the decisions we make. And there's going to be a lot. Some of them are very simplistic decisions. Some of them are major decisions. But every decision we make will guide us some way. Now, fortunately, when we make a bad decision, God is nice enough to come down and lovingly smack up upside the head figuratively, of course, and bring us back. He's loving enough to help us to see, hey, you can go this way. But I hope you see where this is going to end up. And then open up a path for us to come back. And I'm grateful for that because we are not doomed by our poor decisions if we're following Christ. But when we mess up, God gives us many opportunities to make right and to get back on the right track. So what I want to do is simply look at four principles about decisions that were made from these two men's. We're going to look at a passage. Many of us are familiar with the time where Abraham and Lot split. And we have a lot of opinions about it. And as a matter of fact, uh, Leonard Luca last Sunday night gave me a couple thoughts about, la- about the message we preached last Sunday night that I'm going to roll in just for a thought. He-, he and I both agree we can't prove it from Scripture, but there's an interesting thought we'll get to in a little bit. Four thoughts tonight before we're finished. Number one, the weakness in decision-making. There's a weakness in decision-making. Back to chapter 13, verse 1. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and Lot with him, into the south. And Abram was very rich, uh, very rich in cattle and silver and gold. And he went on his journey from the south even to Bethel, Bethel, under the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, under the place of the altar, which he had made there at first. And Abram called on the name of the Lord. First thing he did when he came out, after all of the grief that took place, he called in the name of God. Really what you see in context, these first few four verses of this chapter are actually the conclusion of the last story of, of, of uh, Abraham leaving Egypt. So if you look in context and you want to use chapter, well, technically this chapter should start at verse 5. This is the finishing. He comes out of Egypt, and what is the first thing he do? He finds a place of an altar, and he calls on the name of the Lord. He recognizes his mistake, and he comes back to an almighty God. Let's look a little bit about the decisions he makes, weakness in decision making. One, there's availability of wisdom, the availability of wisdom. I think one of the benefits of decision making is we don't have to make these decisions alone. We have great resources available. James tells us, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. There's an interesting section in scripture in that same passage. Uh, He says, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, For he that wavereth, like the wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed catch this let not that man think he shall receive anything of the lord a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways if when god leads we follow and if we're not now here's what i used to think in that passage that you know if we uh, ask in faith if we're double if we're waning here's what i used to think i used to say okay god this is what i want He give an answer Ah, i don't know you know what that passage is actually saying if we lack faith in god to give us the answer, in obedience if he does give us the answer. Here's a lot of times what happens is we get the answer to our, pr- our prayer request, and we say, well, Lord, that's not what I was looking for. We don't follow because it didn't fit our mold. And that's where a decision, a weakness has come in decision making. God, God does not want to hide his will from you. He does not want to hide his next plan. He doesn't want to trick you. He doesn't want you to wonder and wander in your Christian journey. He wants you to know what's next so if you ask wisdom ask of God but when he begins to lead put your faith in God do not be double-minded don't say well this is what God wants and this is what the world wants or this is what I think and then I'm gonna begin to sway the two of those no I'm gonna choose which one of those I will follow there's always availability of wisdom if we need it and we ask for it but what is the source of wisdom number two this source of wisdom so when I look at the idea of of wisdom, I just, just wrote down several verses in my notes here. I'm going to read them to you. Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Proverbs 8, verse 12. I, I want you to catch this because there's an interesting verse in here I want to look at. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy and the evil way. And the forward mouth do I hate. Counsel is mind and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. By me, king's reign and prince's decree justice. By me, princes, rule, and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Check check verse 17 with me for a second. I'll continue my thoughts in a second. But I love them that love thee, and those that seek me early shall find me. You know how many times I've heard that preached at me, that that's a command to read your Bible really, really early in the morning? What are we seeking in this chapter? Wisdom. Be very careful not to yank. So many people get frustrated. We yank something out of context and we howler about it. It's not what it's saying here. Now, we seek wisdom by seeking God. But the point is this. When we need something, seek wisdom early. All right? Verse 18, riches and honor are with me, are with wisdom. Yea, durable riches and righteousness. My fruit, wisdom's fruit, is better than gold, yea, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I lead in the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of judgment. That I may cause those that love me to inherit substance, and I will fill their treasures. Notice, even this wisdom promises wealth, or at least provision in this scenario. This is many of the things that we have. This is what's available to us. Simple principle Abraham took time to worship God and to seek Him. We never ever see that stated of Lot. This was the beginning of Lot's downfall. And why Abraham was blessed, even with all his mistakes. Mistakes are not the end unless we allow them to be. If my mistakes drives me back to the presence of God, then God will use it great. If my mistake drives me, or someone else's mistake, drives me from the presence of God, that's where I have a problem. Let's go to number two the necessity of decision making. The necessity. Verse 5. And Lot also, which had, which went with Abraham or Abram, had flocks and herds and tents, and the Lord was not, a, or excuse me, the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together, and there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot. Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we are brethren. So when we look at what we're, this section, I don't think personally believe that lot. That there was a lot of horrible things happening in a womb. I don't think there was a lot of conflict, a lot of sin. There was just the fact that the two families had grown, had grown in great wealth, and there was just, there was just too much land. There wasn't enough, or too much crops, or too much herds, Things and there's not enough land. So he goes, we got to split. We're trying to find a place to feed our our animals. We don't have it. We need to go two different directions. God has blessed both of us. We need to separate here. Both men have become wealthy. That is a result, a lot of people and a lot of cattle. There just wasn't enough room for both families to continue in the same direction. Abraham pointed out what was happening was not necessary, and then it could be resolved because there's no reason to fight. Well, brethren, there's no reason to argue. There's no reason for this to get worse. Here's one thing I love about the decision-making. He saw a need. He didn't run from it. He didn't come back and say, what are we going to do? What if I make the wrong decision? He saw the conflict. He brought Lot and he said, listen, we're grown men. This, This is ridiculous. This is not necessary. The chaos, the silliness is not necessary. This is the problem. This is the reason. What do we do about it? You know what? That is simply a simple and biblical way to deal with conflict. If there's a problem, deal with it. But you know what happens when we don't deal with it? It grows, and it gets worse, and then we begin to assume this and assume that. And before you know it, we're mad at people for things that never happened. We believe they did. I don't know why we do, but we do. You know what I'm talking about? You've been there. Because we just don't want to. The problem's there. We're mad that the problem's there. If Abraham, you know what he could have done? He could have heard about the conflict between his people and Lot's people. And he could have said, man, I wish I hadn't brought Lot. This is stupid. And he could have gone and yelled at Lot. How dare your people treat my people like this? And there could have been an all-out fight. He could have said, I'm the big dog. You need to leave. That's what he could have done. He could have caused all kinds of chaos. He could have, when one of the people walk up, their herman's giving his case. Well, you tell them I said this. Can you just see all of the crazy chaos? So how would you know? Go to junior high. Because some of us haven't grown out of that, right? (laughs) Don't you know that a lot of the battles we face are just that, silly junior high battles. We don't want to look at it. pride selfishness gets in the way we don't want to admit we're wrong and can i I tell you i believe this and maybe this number is a little high i'm just gonna give you my opinion 85 to 90 percent if not more of conflict we have would be resolved if we would just swallow our pride and love the person more than we do our pride we stay separated simply because we don't want to admit we're wrong and then we end up alone because we don't want to do that god allows us you know the phrase when we ask for wisdom you know what god's going to do he's going to give you an opportunity to learn in wisdom he's going to give you a circumstance that is outside your league outside your knowledge that is over your head and then he's going to make you get on your knees and say god this is in front of me and i'm scared to death what do i do i'm glad you're here here's some thoughts here you go this is what you need but we often we panic at that you want wisdom you want to grow in wisdom then ask God for it, but don't be surprised when he gives you situations that demand wisdom you don't have, so that you can get on your face before an almighty God, and he can give you the wisdom you need. When I see people who've gone through battles, and instead of running from the spiritual conflict, instead of running from things they go at it, and they get on their knees and move forward, those are the people that I want to spend time talking to, because they've gained some wisdom from God. The other alternative is sit back and get mad at god how dare you put this in my life He's like you asked for it we get mad at him i want to go to those who have spent time and have fought through that you see we all make decisions every day of our lives some big and some small and i would challenge us to recognize that there are some things that we need to decide that are of great importance see these two are responding to just legitimate circumstances in the moment nothing chaos just reality and there are some things I believe that we need to prepare before they get to us. Instead of this blowing out of proportion, let's deal with this now. Think of 1 Peter 5:8. Peter says, "Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour." Before Satan attacks, be aware he's there. Be aware ahead of time. I like what we see in Daniel chapter 1 verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Notice this. Daniel had purpose in his heart before he got to the circumstance. So that way when he was asked. On this day, it was, a, it was an Israeli Hebrew law. They were supposed to be vegetarians, basically. Now, many want to go back and say, we should still follow Hebrew law. If you go back to the book of Acts, God eliminated that. We don't need to. It's not wrong to, but you don't need to. But they were told you had to eat this. Please remember, if he kept saying, I don't want to eat this, they could have just killed him off. They were slaves. They were in bondage. And yet, one is interesting, he made a stance no matter what, but the other thing is interesting that he had already become in favor with the person who was overcharged of him. You see that? He's in bondage, he's a slave, and he'd already found favor with his master. What a godly man to already be there. He had already done everything he was supposed to, so that when he came with the request, it wasn't just one more nag from the Hebrew slave. It was a man who's been gracious asking for something, and he had earned that. If you want to whine your complain to your boss every day, don't get mad when you ask for a day off. And he's like, uh-uh. Don't get mad when he says, go ahead, don't come back, right? We love to point out all the things we don't like and then wonder why when we ask for something, we don't get it. You know, That's the thing. He had created already a great spirit with that person, but he had purposed before he ever got there. Here's the thing. There are things in life that are going to come your way. Decide now what you're going to do about it. Decide now what you're going to do about it. Abraham and Lot noticed this problem can get out of hand. Let's deal with it. Some of the things you're going to get faced with may not be that big of a deal. may be a really big deal. Simple example of this. I heard the same verse preached often when I was growing up. And in uh, youth group and things of that nature. And I'll never forget, I thought to myself, you know, that I, I don't need to worry about it. But I, I made decisions and I was younger on what I would do with things like alcohol and drugs and things of that nature for a lot of different reasons. But I made that decision. I was challenged and I made it younger. I'll never forget, shortly, uh, my first time actually working, I'd worked for some in our church cutting grass for a while, and then I'd gone on to work at Chick fil A. You know, we went there because it was a Christian organization, right? Well, it might be, but. Most of the people I worked with weren't. And uh, I'll never forget this. One of the first nights I closed. I'd been there about a month. We closed. I was actually at the Oxford Valley Mall. It's a uh, clothing store now. Chick-fil-A is out of there. But I worked downstairs when you first walked in the one main entrance. And, and I remember we're closing. We went back to the hallways. We're getting ready to leave. And one of the guys looked at me. He goes, Rodney, you want to go hang with us? Now, I mean, that's a compliment. Cool. You know, that's neat. They're inviting me to go with them. I'm like, um, Where are we going? And he's like, well, we're going to go down to this bar. They're going to, you know, well, I'm not old enough. He's like, it's okay. I got a guy. He's going to let us in the back. He's like, man, get your first drink. And I'm like, ah, no. Then another kid next to me, another preacher's kid, not from here, another preacher's kid, come on, Rodney, your dad will never find out. Now I have one benefit. I wasn't driving yet. My dad was in the parking lot, so that wasn't going to solve the problem. But I'll never forget. And then they're like, "Wait a minute!" And they start making fun. You've never drank. You've never smoked. And I'm like, "No." So they light up a cigarette, and they're like, "You need to try this." This is the managers of the store pushing this. And I remember thinking this wouldn't be a problem. I wouldn't mind. But four people who are mocking me, making fun of me, and saying all this, thing, I looked at that, and there was part of me that was like, "I don't want to be weird. I don't want to be stupid." And then another thought hit me, I will be honest with you, it helped. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to smell like this. And I'm going to get a living tar beaten out of me. And I'm going to lose my job, because I'm going to be told I have to quit. So I thought, are what these people think worse? All of the pain I'm going to get going home. I'm not talking to my dad, I'm when I get home to my mom. All right, that was going to get real worse. All right, That was going to go, go down. And I was like, ah. Uh, so I looked at them, and that went through my mind. I'm like, no, are you weird? Oh, I, you know, bleepity bleep, you're a nerd, you're, oh, And they use other words. I'm just not going to repeat those in church, right? And they got done. I looked at them, and in my mind, I'm like, I made a decision a long time out doing this. And they kept making fun of me. So there's a part of me, I'm just obnoxious. And I looked at them, and I was like, you four idiots are not worth it! They're like, you don't have to be rude about it. I mean, they were kind of like, how, look at me. I'm like, can we just go home? I'm just done. You guys go and do what you want. And then they started then it just got worse. Then it just got worse the mocking. Now, so does it matter? Do I want to make a decision based upon them? Cuz I'll be honest with you, since that day, I've been in worse situations with more worse situations with more important decisions, right? You can't stand there, you won't be able to. I don't stand stand for right because I think it's right. I don't stand for right because someone else is okay with it. I stand for right because I want to honor God. That's all that matters. And that's the decision he made. He made a decision ahead of time. So when it came, he knew where he'd stand. Please understand this. We know that Satan is out to get us. And there are some things that we need to decide where we're going to stand before they happen. What will I do about church? What will it take to keep me out of church? What about the Bible? Will I obey it? Will I follow it? Will I stand with it? What about my family? Will they come first? Or about me? We went to lunch today and bumped into somebody at Applebee's that we knew. They were at a different church, and they were referencing just youth group and things like that. And he had mentioned that his pastor was leading their senior high youth group, but he and a few other people led the junior high youth group. And i said, "So you don't have a youth pastor. And he made this comment. He goes, statistically speaking, a very small percentage of youth pastors actually have a biblical worldview. Most of them going into churches have a very secular worldview. And he made that comment. And I thought, well, they're not standing on Scripture. They're not following the Bible. And that was the key. He said that. It's complicated. It's true. It's hard to find people. Are we following the Bible Let's go to number three in our principles on decisions. Circumstances in decision-making. Let's look at some of these circumstances. Verse nine of chapter 13. Abraham, Abram says, "Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If thou wilt depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plains of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves one from the other. Now I'm going to take a moment because I have heard this one section of Scripture preached in a way that I think is wrong. So listen for a moment, and then you can make your final decision yourself later. So Abram comes to Lot, and he says, we have to make a decision. Is not all of the land in front of us. Separate us. You go go to one way, I'll go the other. If you go left, I'll go right. You go right, I'll go left. Verse 10, the Bible says, Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld the plain of Jordan, and it was well watered. I have heard messages entitled, Lot lifted up his eyes. And the fact that he looked to the green was the reason that he fell to sin. Well, then if that's true, what if he'd gone the other way? Would Abraham have been in sin by going to the green? Lot's choice to go the direction he did was not sinful. We'll get to where his problem started. But all the way to the, get to the end of this, his decision to go where it was green was not a sinful decision. It was a business decision. I got some cattle. There's some grass. Looks good to me. I'll get to the part where he started making bad decisions. But he looked at it. And we look and say, because he chose something that was beautiful, this was Lot's problem. Lot had a lot of problems, and we'll talk about those in the future. But what we see here was a simple decision. The circumstances. Lot, you go one way, I'll go the other. Lot chose, Abram went to Canaan, the promised land. This wasn't one of those tricky things where, lot, where Abram was trying to get Lot caught up. We need, we see the, uh, the need to change sometimes, but now we see the options in the decision. Sometimes we make decisions, but what are the options? Again, I've heard people speak of here of Lot's greed in taking greener pastures, even read it this last couple weeks. I would state there really wasn't anything wrong with this choice, because Abram might have been there too. Of all the things we know about Lot and all that will take place after this decision, the struggle did not start with him making the decision to take that land. Here's one principle. Our our circumstances can influence us, but they do not have to. They do not have to. We do not have to be a product of our surroundings. Actually, we should be an influence in our surroundings. Consider this. Lot might might not have been as dedicated to worship God as Abram was, but he was a saved man. 2 Peter 7 or 2 Peter 2, verse 7 says, and and delivered just Lot. The word just means righteous Lot. Vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them, and seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. That's describing Lot. Ultimately, Lot goes into Sodom and Gomorrah, a saved man, and their lifestyle vexed His righteous righteous soul he was a man of God he was a saved man so ultimately the decisions came this wasn't a a proof that he wasn't saved actually there's one interesting thing I'm gonna go back to the scripture here this is what Leonard and I were talking about last week in verse 10 lot lifted up his eyes beheld of the plain of Jordan it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah even as the garden of the Lord like the land of Egypt as I to That phrase, like the land of Egypt, let me tell you. Leonard came in last week, he goes, have you considered something? Both of us would agree, you can't prove this in Scripture, but just think about something. So last week, Sunday night, we talked about the idea of the, a lot of the effects that came from Abraham going into Egypt. And the question was this, have we ever considered that this, the consequences of that decision didn't end when they left Egypt? They might have followed them. You know one of the reasons Lot might have been very, very interested in that area is it reminded him of Egypt. He fell in love with the city, and he wanted it because Abram took him in there. Abram took him in, let him in there, he fell in love with it, and he looked up and he said, hmm, that looks interesting. We can't prove that, but it's an interesting thought. It's an interesting thought to think that maybe he was swayed by decision Abraham made. So we see the fact he was, though, a godly man. And I would say, now we know he ended up ignoring that. He ended up doing what he knew was wrong. He ended up going completely the wrong way. Let's go to number four then, failure in decision making. Verse 12, Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain. I want you to see this phrase, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Remember this. I'm sure they were fully aware of Sodom and Gomorrah. Is it possible he chose the plain of Jordan to become of Sodom and Gomorrah? It's possible. But what we know is this. He pitched his tent toward them. He longed. He was intrigued by the events of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is where I believe Lot began his downfall. Yes, he should have been worshiping. He should have been before the face of God. He should have been. And yet we can always go back to his lack of worship as the beginning. But Lot, you know, we'll study it later. Here's what you're going to see. Lot ends up, the Bible says, ends up as he's in the gate. But that's sitting in the gate. That simply means he became an authority in the gate. He became an authority. He became part of the governmental influence of Sodom and Gomorrah. He had embraced all that Sodom and Gomorrah had offered, so now he was, we say, congressman or a mayor or whatever. He sat in authority. He had moved his way up there. Ultimately, lost his family, lost his wife, encouraged some horrible men to do horrible things with his daughters, just had gone filthy. A righteous man, gone filthy. It started with a look. It did start that way. It started with a longing. There are things in this world that are intriguing to us because we have the human side. And if we're not careful, Satan can convince us, it's no big deal, it's not a problem, it's fine. But if we're not careful, we will be drawn by what what feels good, but we know is wrong. So we can't look at what feels good. I hope you know that we should not be controlled by our emotions and what feels good. Because someday, screaming at an empl- a fellow employee, a fellow coworker, wouldn't that feel good some days? Wouldn't it? You, you, none of you are agreeing with me. I, I know you say it would some days, all right? I'm not saying you do it. Come on, stick with me here. Wake up a little bit, all right? There are days you walk away from a conversation like, who is this person? You know what I'm talking about and i was riding today how oh, we were going no i was actually coming home from the airport yesterday we got in a shuttle van to take us to our car it was parked now i had been in california for a couple of days driving we get in this car i got a five-minute reminder of what it's like to live in philadelphia <laughs> he did a 20-minute trip in five minutes it wasn't 20 but that's what it felt like. he was flying I'm telling you, I'll never forget one time, he got right behind somebody, pulled out, pulled back in, and pulled around. He flew into the parking lot so fast, I'm like, he's going to hit three cars. We got to one spot in the corner of the parking lot. I knew our car was at the other end. I'm like, we're getting out. We're in the parking lot, and he's going to hurt us. I'm getting out. I remember that. All right, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. It was crazy. It was ridiculous. It was a reminder. We can get easily irritated, and I want to sit back, and I'm thinking, do I tip the guy? Well, I made it alive, and he got me there quick, right? So maybe I should give him a double tip for that point. Now, the point is this. We can get easily irritated. Today, someone cut me off, and I'm like, yeah, we're back in Philly. It's easy. to get, You know, we can. If we're driven by our emotions, then we'll make emotional decisions. If we're driven by what feels good. If we're driven by what doesn't feel good. If we're driven by what we think will make us feel better and all of those things. One of the things I've learned as I've been doing study over the last few weeks, and I think it's important. A lot of times we see our feelings and we say we're having emotional problems. No, our emotions are working just fine. We're making a decision. Our emotions are reacting to our decisions. So if you want to fix your emotions, what do you do? Change your actions. A lot of people fall in depression. Why? Because they've found themselves, sometimes you know, their own decisions, in a list Of just horrible things based upon circumstances and so instead of dealing with the circumstances they sit in discouragement and they sit and things get worse what ends up happening if you just sit and things get worse what are you gonna get depressed or you can go to God get wisdom and change your circumstances I heard one of these stories a man sitting in front of a counselor he sat there and he said he had lost his job and he lost his job and he said you know the the creditors are pounding on my door I'm going to lose the house. My wife, I'm sure, he, is disgusted with me because of this. These are the things he said. The counselor looks at him and he says, well, let's, let's get down to the brass tacks, all right? Okay, you lost your job. Are creditors actually knocking on your door? He says, well, no, I'm just saying that to you know, for exaggeration purposes. He says, okay. Have you called the credit card companies to find out? Well, uh, no, I haven't. He says, all right. Have you asked your wife if she's disgusted with you? No, he wouldn't go to work. That was the other thing. He wouldn't go to work. He felt like he had failed so much he didn't want to go back to work. Because he, because he was depressed. He said, because I'm depressed, I can't go back to work. So the counselor sent him home and said, here's what I want you to do. One, don't worry about the people knocking on the door no one is. Two, call all your creditors. Find out what they'll do. Find out exactly how much debt you're really in and talk to your wife, all right? So he comes back. He says, first of all, my wife's really, really kind. She's on my side. She's not mad at me at all. Second of all, all the credit companies found out I lost my job and they've given me help to get out of debt, no problem. And third of all, we actually have a third car we've been debating to sell and we can sell it and pay all our debt off, so we're actually fine. You think, Here's his problem. He wasn't stopping to do this because he was depressed. He was depressed because he wouldn't deal with the things. He goes, if I just dealt with it. He goes, you know, guess what? I even, got a, I even applied for some work this week. You see the difference? That's the decision making. make. If I'm driven by my emotions, I'll make emotional poor decisions. I have to stop. And this is where, be anxious, but careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. Give it to Him. Seek wisdom, and then follow it. That's the important part. It, lot might have liked what he saw in Egypt, might have wanted it back, might have just wanted something nicer. Whatever it was, this was the beginning of a whole list of bad decisions that he would without a doubt come back to. We will talk about later. We're still living today with some of the poor decisions Lot made. Now, if you make a bad decision, at any point you can turn back to God and say, Lord, help me to step from this. The key is, are you willing to recognize that pattern